So yesterday, we had our third ever Addictions and Recovery Expo at Wellsprings. Yes. Yay. Thank you. (laughs) And... To the people on the team, the organizers, it was amazing. And and thank you all for the dedication, the devotion that made this possible. And after a big event like this, you know, there's always assessment that goes on and honest listening and what we do different next time. But here's what I take the most pride in from the day. The things you absolutely cannot fake about recovery were all present. Stuff that no one can manufacture. It's a quality of being in a way of being open and receptive to healing and to being with each other in some of the vulnerable parts of who we are and how we are, that stuff cannot be faked. Other things may change, may grow, may alter with that ministry and with the expo in time to come, but that is the constant of who we are. And so that is the thing I am most profoundly grateful for today. So thank you. So this was a meme that we used to publicize the expo on social media. Oh, what's, what's this? What's going on? Huh? What? Oh, okay. All right. What's that? Oh, thank you. Okay. There seems to be another group in the back there. I believe we've been interrupted. (laughs) Oh, there's sorry. Is there another group that has another set of high fives I get? I'm going to come over and meet you this this, right over here. Okay. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. You want to come up on the stage? All right. Come up on the stage. We're all just riffing here. So um, I knew that was going to happen. You did not know that was going to happen. Thank you, kids. They're on some kind of treasure hunt or something. Um, And it included getting, I believe, something from the tech team in the back and getting high fives from me, which is always fun for me. So thank you. Um, (laughs) The reason we shared that is, one, because, yes, I'm preaching on interruptions and working with interruptions today. But also another reason. About a year or so ago, we had um, a transition in our staffing in Youth Spirit. And instead of doing the, the, the thing that, you know, kind of many of us are trained to do, you know, in professional transitions, you go out and you look for the next person you're going to hire, we actually decided to take a step back. We interrupted that automatic way of doing things and recognized that one of the things we felt called to do here at Wellsprings, and some of you have been on this team that I'm going to talk about working together the last six months, is really come back into a place of asking ourselves, what do we want out of our ministry and what do we want with our ministry with children here at Wellsprings? And the answer is no, not more faked interruptions in worship from our kids. The answer, though, however, is this, or one of the answers. We yearn for a way of being Wellsprings here in which our kids and our adults all feel more integrated into community together, regardless of 
our ages and where we are and our faith expressions. This is one of the clear things that we articulated together. We've just finished the vision uh, articulation part of this process. And by the way, it's printed out there on the back table. You can see it. You can also see it in the weekly. Take a look at what we are doing because we're starting to move into that operational phase. What are these going to actually look like as programs? And yes, it, well, maybe it will be interrupting me or whoever's preaching on a regular basis. I don't think that'll be it, though. But it will aim at that deeper sense of recognizing we are all one community together. And so this little faked interruption, notwithstanding, that's what I want to talk about today. Recognize how it felt for you when those kids walked in here and it looked like I didn't know what I was doing and you didn't know what they were doing. What is it like to have the expected interrupted? Because that's what this meme is about for me. I would never give back the discomfort of my early recovery. Without it, I wouldn't know what love can do in reshaping a life. There are many things that I don't know. This is one of those things that I absolutely do know. Some of you are aware that I entered recovery. I got sober. I quit drinking six weeks after starting Lost Springs. This was not the professional plan that I expected from my life. I was here to create something wonderful, something new, something that the denomination had given us one hell of a lot of money to try. And I was like, oh, damn. A time in my life in which I actually had to feel at my most competent. I actually felt at my most frustrated and most incompetent. And so it was at that moment, and when I say moment, I'm talking about six to eight months of my life in my early recovery, when this new truth emerged, when I had to be more vulnerable than I had ever been in my life with people who had known me for a long time and with a whole bunch of people I was just meeting for the first time. I had to learn to ask for what was for me the worst four-letter word there was, and sometimes still is. You all know it. Help. And what I found is that when I asked for help, I was loved into a way of being that I had always yearned for, but never really knew. That discomfort was totally worth it. That frustration, totally worth the price of admission. And I have to tell you, it did not feel good. But I do not believe, I'm actually totally sure, that I would not be standing here before you today if I did not inhabit that discomfort and recognize what it was like to feel those feelings that I had run from for so long and actually, what I do believe is that leading from that space in the earliest part of Wellsprings was the greatest gift that I could have given to Wellsprings at that time. Mark Nepo, who's a writer who some of you know, a writer and a chronicler of the spiritual life, poet, he writes, When jarred by life, we might unravel the story we tell ourselves and discover the story we are in. The one that keeps telling us when jarred by life, we might unravel the story we tell ourselves and to 
discover the story we are in, the one that keeps telling us this willingness to be interrupted, this opportunity for a holy interruption to write a different story. Having lived through one of those times, I'm glad I'm not there anymore, but I would not give it back for anything. Because it was from that place that I recognized that the story that I was writing about my life was unsustainable and it would not serve me. And that the life that wanted to live within me was not congruent with the life I was actually living. In that space, beyond my specific addiction to alcohol, I also discovered this deeper truth, which is something I think that all of us struggle with in this particular culture, especially in a place like Chester County. I think it's the largest addiction that there is, which is that if we're not productive, we're not really alive. If we're not succeeding, we don't matter. This is philosophically what's known as materialism. Now, when I say materialism, most of us think about like the accruing of stuff. That's just the grossest and most simplistic form of materialism. Materialism reduces us to only what we produce. It is antithetical to a deeper spirituality that brings forth something in us that cannot be tamed, that perhaps cannot even be named, but is a deep aspect of who we are. And that, above all else, yearns to be loved. I think that one of the most profound spiritual practices that I continue to work on and one of the most profound spiritual practices for so many of us is this. To learn how to love something or someone that does absolutely nothing for you. And I'm not saying, you know, hostile to you or you're angry at. I mean, there's all kinds of spiritual practices that encourage us to get in touch with our quote-unquote enemies, right? Love your enemies, open the heart to people we have anger with. But I'm talking about something different. Love who or what does absolutely nothing for you won't make you sexier, stronger, healthier, richer, won't improve you in any way. None of us. To love who or what does nothing for us. This is how we move past that culture to aligning someone's worth and value with how productive they are for us or for the larger society. Now, let me just say, I know this feels like a very skewed analysis. And for some of you who know my schedule, um, I'm in school. I've got an internship. I'm doing this ministry. Uh, I can count you the, uh, the average hours that I already have committed going into every single week. And that's before a week like this past week with the expo and three assignments, three papers due. And I'm not going to tell you the number of hours because that would be falling into that. I'm so busy, I'm bragging. No freaking way, folks. I am glad that this week was very productive. is also now over. <laughs> yes, there is a balance between action and activity, of which I have much in my life. And also, on the other side, not doing. But the truth is, in this culture, we will hear lessons over and over and over again about how to make our lives productive. We will hear from very few places, and maybe this is the only one in your life, that says, what is it like for you not to do? To actually come into an awareness of who we are outside of our productivity. I love teachings that 
point in this direction for me, that point at this truth that I can forget very easily. And from the look on some of your faces, it sounds like some of you and us forget easily as well, too. A number of years ago, I went on a recovery meditation and uh, yoga retreat with a teacher who I absolutely love. His name is Rolf Gates. He's a person in long-term recovery. And he's got his teachers, teachers, teacher. I'm not going to tell you who those names are because I probably can't remember them anyway. But he's of this lineage as a teacher. And he tells this story about his teacher's teacher who was one day out in the forest with a number of this teacher's students. And they came upon a really big, huge boulder, like you know, almost the size of a small house. And the teacher asked her students, do you think that's heavy? Of course, their answer was, it's the heaviest thing we've ever seen. And he said, what would it be like to lift that? And they said, you know, what's wrong with you? <laughs> There's no way we could lift that. And he just didn't find their answers acceptable, the teacher. And they said, it's so heavy. We couldn't possibly lift it. And he said, it's not heavy at all if you don't try to pick it up. How many of us get into this habit of lifting up simply because of the conditioned activity of our lives, that which we might perhaps just allow to sit there for a little bit. That's why I love this phrase that many of you have heard before. Some of you have heard before. Don't just do something. Sit there. (laughs) This is like one of those core teachings in my life that absolutely resonates for me. Because I know my first habit, not my nature, but my habit... What can I do? So at the uh, expo yesterday, we gave away uh, copies of what was the single, at least according to podcast statistics, the single most popular uh, message series in the history of Wellsprings. It's back there on the back table. Uh, for those of you who still have a CD player, I mean, that's how old it is that, you know, it dates back to the point where pretty much everyone has a CD player. And it's called Halt, which for those of you who know is a kind of classic recovery teaching, but more than just specific to the recovery culture. And it stands for hungry, angry, lonely, tired. Maybe some of you are one of those or all four of those things right now. (laughs) And that maybe this is a chance to pause and you don't like it. Or maybe you love that this is an opportunity. But I would guess, just knowing some of your stories... Some of your stories a great deal. Some of your stories just a little bit. But I would guess that in the last 24 to, let's say, 96 hours, that we have all had the opportunity to be hungry, angry, lonely, or tired. (laughs) And the truth is, right, so many of us do the most damage, create the most chaos in our lives because we won't halt at those moments. The moments when many of us mistreat ourselves is the moments when many of us mistreat other people. And I love how basic this is, like how biologically, emotionally basic this is. Two states of physical being, two states of emotional being. When we find ourselves in, do we allow ourselves to halt and not pick up the boulder and actually get in touch with what it's like to feel maybe a little frustrated and find healthier ways, better ways of connecting with others or feeding ourselves, literally or metaphorically. The truth is, I I really believe that that getting in touch with those moments of failure and frustration may open up to us 
perhaps the most creative grace that there is, maybe the opportunity in which we engage those fresh starts, but not by leaping right away conditionally, habitually to the fresh start, but by really getting in touch with what is frustrating to us and what may feel like a failure that many of us don't want to face. And as a result, just keep perpetuating and perpetuating and perpetuating and doing the same thing over and over again. Imagine you all know who this is. Not him, the other guy. <laughs> yes, you know who this is. You all know who this is. Steven Spielberg. Uh, for those of you who have HBO, you might have seen that there's like a 150-minute, almost three-hour uh, autobiography of Steven Spielberg that, that's on right now. And one of the cool things is recognize I'm 47 years old, and I knew this already, but it really, like watching this movie, this documentary, brought it home like... Um, I absolutely grew up, not just on, I grew up through Steven Spielberg's movies. There's so much just goodness and connection to my family and connection to stories that mean so much to me. Um, But that wasn't actually the favorite part of this documentary. My favorite part of this documentary was when Steven Spielberg recognized what it was like to fail, like really fail. That goes by the name The Color Purple. It's a bad movie. His version of the color purple, it's not his story to tell. And it's an extraordinary novel for all of us who know Alice Walker's The Color Purple. And perhaps the only benefit for me that came out of that movie is that more people read The Color Purple and actually read the book. But the tone is all off. It's not his story to tell. You could see that, you know, Steven Spielberg, as he talks about it, was reaching for something deeper. He was reaching for something truer and and tragic and more real about the human condition. And so that's what drew him to the color purple. But he didn't know how to tell that story with integrity. So it was not a good movie. And he got pilloried for it for the first time, for the real first time. He had not been an absolute success. And people wondered, maybe, you know, this guy was just purely a sentimentalist and could not create real art. And the sense you get from this documentary is that Steven Spielberg listened to his failure. He listened to the people who told him he had not achieved what he set out to do, something real and true and heartful. He recognized in those moments he couldn't always win. Sometimes he could lose. But he listened. And there is a direct connection made in this documentary between the failure of his artistic endeavor with the color purple and the movie that eventually became Schindler's List, which was a story for his to tell with integrity and is, at least in my eyes, one of the most defining works of art of our time. Only because he listened to his frustration and his failure could he get that fresh start as an artist. Some years ago, I think it was probably one of the VH1 things when VH1 had, you know, behind the music. And I want to say it was Millie Vanilli, but it wasn't. But it was someone like, put in the Millie Vanilli category of like one hit wonders. And there was like an interview with this band and they like just immediate overnight success. And the one thing that was clear to them is that they absolutely stopped growing <laughs> because of that immediate overnight success. They never had to wrestle with what it was like to fail, to flop, to be frustrated. I've met some overnight successes in my time, and that is a story I hear over and over again. (laughs) I stopped growing. We 
stopped growing. This growth of waiting with frustration is also a learning with frustration. It is, as our lay preacher Jessica said last week, pointing to our core value here at Wellsprings, living with integrity and possessing the humility and the vulnerability necessary to make positive change. Of all our core beliefs and values, I've got to tell you, that's the one that rests on my heart the most because that is the one that I need the most. Because I love the positive change part. <laughs> I love to get to there. <laughs> but that's not the teaching. It's the humility and the vulnerability necessary so that we can make positive change. I believe this is an absolutely necessary lesson in our overall collective culture right now for all of us, especially if we are people who have experienced different kinds of privilege in this life. Many of you know, I imagine, what this hashtag means. If you don't, a quick explanation is that this is a social media post that took on real profound energy this past week. As many women and people of different gender expressions as well shared their stories of sexual harassment and sexual abuse and sexual assault with the hashtag me too. Now, for those of us who don't have this experience, especially for those of us who identify as men, to actually recognize how ubiquitous this is in our culture especially if we were not raised to listen or we were raised to fix or solve before we actually know what the problem is. This requires us, and I'll personalize it me as someone who identifies as a man, to stop and to listen and to recognize that at this moment, because it is not just about the experience of women, it also is about the experience of people of color. For those of us who have white skin, so much is being unearthed right now. That has always been true for certain parts of this country, and yet many of us just were not aware. Because we were not trained to listen, or we just didn't choose to listen. This, I think, is the moment that is here with us right now, especially if we have lived lives of certain kinds of privilege, to stay with what's being unearthed. This is also the meaning of this tradition that says revelation is unsealed. That's just not all the happy stuff. The revelation that is being unsealed is the full truth of who we are, and that is being conveyed right now. If we want to grow the great compassion, if we really want to open our hearts, if we want to commit to ways of non-harming and compassion and justice, Maybe we can recognize a meme that we posted on the, the Wellsprings page a while ago. And sorry, I'm just kind of riffing here. I'm just interrupting myself. Uh, but Warshan Shire, the, the poet, and I'm going to not get the language exactly right, but it's just kind of coming to me, is, is this, this, this quote that says, sitting with a map at the end of the day and asking someone, where does it hurt? And the answer is, everywhere. 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 Perhaps this is the inescapable truth 
of our lives and how the world has always been. But many of us, including myself, did not recognize it. That if we are more aware of the pain of this world and if we can listen to it and allow it to interrupt our small stories of individual success or separateness, then maybe we can grow into that large story that Mark Nepo was pointing us toward, which is the story of humanity's full wholeness together. A number of weeks ago, I talked about forgiveness in spiritual community as part of this series of an essential practice of what happens, not if, but when we hurt each other, when, (laughs) when we disappoint each other, when, not if. But of course, the truth is like we hope for all of us, I hope uh, that we're not just going to keep repeating the same stuff over and over again and keep having to ask for forgiveness, but actually we might learn from those times of failure and frustration and to borrow those words from the recovery community, we may allow our lives to be a living amends, not just repeating and making up for what has happened in the past, but we actually might do a new thing and not commit the same mistakes over and over again. And so that's where I kind of want to point to an ending here today and convey to you one of my living amends place where I tried to listen beyond just what I thought I knew. So last last spring, Reverend Lee and I did a message series about death and and grief, and these had these words in there that, me, I think they sounded pretty good. Some of you told me you really liked them, and they were in the context of that message that made sense. May we live in such a way that I love you are the final words we'll ever hear. You know, it's the idea that as we go through this life, We live in such a way that hopefully we're connected and surrounded by love and caring and that that can be with us at the very last moment of our lives. It's a good aspiration. But we created that meme, but ultimately I chose not to post it because it failed what is for me the most important test of any words that want to help or heal rather than harm or hurt. They failed the test of this person's life. Some of you know who this was, saying her name. Allie Lee Steinfeld, a transgender teenager who was targeted and murdered because of her gender expression. Saying those words, if you put it back to that meme, to her and her memory, to her family, would be cruel. It would be perpetuating harm. Because no one deserves what happened to Allie Lee Steinfeld. So thanks for allowing me to show you a place where I was able to learn and to not add harm to the harm of the world. Something like that said to someone who is suffering, would be a really cheap grace and a failed attempt at grace. And I think we have enough of that cheap grace already. At the 930 service, seated right there, right next to Lauren here, sorry, um, there was a, a dad who was swaddling his little baby. And one of the things that I was um, aware of is that the ark of the growth of this life, hopefully for all of us, 
was that we're born into this life being loved in our weakness and our dependence, right? If we're fortunate, if we're fortunate, we will have people around us who will be loved into wholeness when we are totally weak and totally dependent, just as I was. And that's sometimes why they call it in the recovery community, happy birthday when you have your anniversary of your sobriety. I was loved through my weakness and my vulnerability. But I hope none of us stay there for good. That the arc of growth in this life is from being loved in our weakness to be at a place where we can love in our strength. As Thich Nhat Hanh said in these beautiful words, that we are called to love each other in such a way that we, through our loving, set the other person free. It's a powerful way to live. And so I would reword this. May we live in such a way that I love you are the final words that we will ever speak. That this is an intention that we can honor and hold And that this is a recovery for all of us of our original blessing and belonging and belovedness. This is a recovery of our very hearts. So whatever your frustration or success or joy or failure today, may you recover, honor, and love the full truth of who you are. Amen. May you live in blessing. Pray with me. Spirit who invites us into wholeness, individual and collective. Not spirit who says it's going to be okay all the time. Spirit who invites us to sing at times the broken, the cold, and yet still the blessed hallelujah. Because this is the truth of someone's life right now, whether it's our own or someone else's. And it's still a hallelujah there. It still is if we can allow love to season and change us in those moments of our brokenness, our failures, our frustrations, and listen and open the heart and continue not to turn away, but to turn toward. May we be a turning toward people. Amen.